Hello, welcome to The Briefing. It's Thursday, February 11. Jan Fran is here. Pretty um, pretty beaten <laughs> up after a long night of tennis. My God, is it that obvious on my face? <laughs> what a match it was. I stayed up to yes. the fourth set of Kyrgios. There it is. I was screaming in my lounge room. It I, was unbelievable. There were two match points near the end of the fourth set. That he, that he saved, exactly. Look, I thought he was going to lose. I was ready to go to sleep. I got to wake up early this morning. But he just held, and it was such a good game that I stayed up the whole night, and then I stayed up to hear him talk, and then I was just too razzed to sleep. Well, we're going to hear what he said at the press conference, which was just incredible. Uh, that's in just a moment. We're also later on the briefing going to talk about the Trump impeachment trial. It's his second. It's now underway. And the real question is, will enough Republicans vote against Trump so that he can't run for office again? Or will this be an own goal for the Democrats and and Joe Biden in particular, who's meant to be getting on with the job of running the country? Yeah, that's coming up a little bit later in the show. But first, let's go to the big news of the day. And we are starting with big news for contract and casual workers who would be able to earn paid leave across multiple jobs. Now, this is part of a massive overhaul to our current laws that is being proposed by the Labor Party. Yeah, speaking in Brisbane last night, the federal opposition leader, Anthony Albanese, said our economy is evolving and we need to keep up with our workplace laws. And workplace laws must evolve with it. Unless they do, we will see a further rise in inequality. This undermines our social cohesion. He's also pushing for a minimum wage and better conditions for gig economy workers. So right now... They're paid per job or per delivery in a lot of cases. Yeah, but the federal government is pushing back pretty hard. They say these so-called portable leave entitlements would cost businesses $20 billion. Attorney General Christian Porter called it unlimited, unqualified and quite outlandish. So the politics around workplace laws uh, is already firing right up. Yes, I'm not surprised by that given that there is the possibility of an early election being called later this year. But it's interesting to note, this is according to the ABS uh, from August of last year, that 22% of all Australia's employees are casual employees. So that is 2.3 million people. That's not a small amount of people. That figure's been relatively stable over the years, but I do wonder how the pandemic will affect that. And a COVID outbreak at a Melbourne airport hotel has ballooned to eight amid fears that the virus is already out in the community. Return travellers moved to other hotels while the Holiday Inn is getting a deep clean. It's been shut down. Um, 1,000 quarantine workers are among those now in isolation. Yeah, now the Vic Chief Health Officer, Brett Sutton, reckons it began because of a COVID-positive resident using what's called a nebulizer. Now, that is a, a small machine Uh, that you use with a mask that turns liquid medicine into vapour. So it's basically used to administer drugs or medicine to sick people. But what it does is it spreads aerosols from that sick person's lungs rather far easier than if they were breathing without the nebulizer. The aerosolized particles can, because they're so tiny, can remain suspended in the air for several minutes. And therefore, if the door of the room is opened, again, for getting a meal, that uh, aerosolized virus uh, is sitting in the air and can move out into the corridor. It's a bit of a nail biter of a situation, this one. Yeah, it is. And, you know, I think um, Melbourne is, is on high alert with the Australian Open. It's now on high alert with hotel quarantine as well. And, you know, there have been calls to revamp hotel quarantine all throughout last year and this year as well, making it a little bit more open, open air, where you're not dealing with ventilation systems, you're not dealing with closed corridors, you're not dealing with people moving around in tight spaces. 
maybe that is something we need to consider moving forward. Crown Casinos is making some of the changes needed to get its Sydney casino licence back. Yeah, two board directors have resigned after an independent New South Wales review found that the company is not fit to hold a gaming licence for its big new Barangaroo Casino. Yeah, Philip Crawford from the New South Wales Liquor and Gaming Authority says this gambling company basically needs to blow everything up and start again. It needs a lot of change, a lot of concern we have around the links to organised crime. I think Bergen's own terminology was that Crown had been infiltrated by organised crime. Uh, Helen Coonan gave evidence about facilitating money laundering. And for any regulator and any government, they're pretty scary terms. Yeah, so those two board directors have gone. They were working for Jamie Packer's consulting company. So now they've essentially cut ties with that company and the board of Crown. But other directors and the company's CEO are hanging on. Yeah, and this New South Wales review, um, it's also led the Victorian Premier Dan Andrews to bring forward a five-year review of the company's casino licence in his state of Victoria. These are very serious issues and we take them very seriously, whether it be by investigation or by admissions made by very senior people at Crown. So uh, we will review and we won't waste any time doing it. We're looking very carefully at all the different findings that have been made. And back to the tennis, Jan. It, it was an absolute Nick Kyrgios classic last night. Um, he So he fought back from two sets down and basically saved two match points against the French player Hugo Humbert. <laughs> well I believe that's how you pronounce it. I apologise to all the French people listening to this podcast right now. She does now. speak French, though. Um, <laughs> I do quite terribly, evidently. <laughs> after the epic five-setter, Kyrgios fell to his knees. I didn't stay up for the fifth set. I stayed up to the fourth. Yeah, I mean, it was a moment. I just thought, yeah, go you. Is he not one of the most entertaining people in sport? He is. He's right up there. Here's what he said. If you win my head, I actually was just thinking about just all the all the shit I was going to cop if I lost that match. <laughs> honestly, I don't know how I did that. Uh, that. I don't even know what to say. I'm lost for words, honestly. That is one of the craziest matches I've ever played. See, I, I love how honest he is yeah. and, you know, how honest he is about not knowing how he pulled the rabbit out of a hat but also just admitting how much pressure he felt he was under to actually win that game as well. Now, he's back on court on Friday against third seed Dominic Team. Sadly, Aussies Bernard Tomic. Aya Tomjehovic, I really hope I pronounced that one right as well, and Alex Bolt, they were all knocked out last night. So. Yeah, but Ash Barty is um, back on the court. She's uh, facing a fellow Aussie, Daria Gavrilova. Former President Donald Trump has been labelled uh, an inciter-in-chief on day two of this second impeachment trial. Donald Trump surrendered his role as commander-in-chief and became the inciter-in-chief of a dangerous insurrection the greatest betrayal of the presidential oath in the history of the United States. Yeah, not mincing words there. That was House Impeachment Manager Jamie Raskin. Now, yesterday, six Republicans crossed the floor to vote that the trial is constitutional, um, even though Donald Trump is no longer in office. Today, prosecutors are expected to show never-before-seen security footage of the Capitol riot in the very same room where that attack happened on January 6th. So we're about to go right into depth on this. We'll catch you tomorrow. Jan Belinda Russell is going to join us as we look at the impeachment trial. Belinda Russell from Nine is back to go deep in today's briefing. Yeah, hey, Tom, looking forward to diving into it. Donald Trump, he's back in the headlines over his involvement in last month's deadly insurrection on Capitol Hill. We're going to walk down to the Capitol... Does he not realize President Trump called us to siege the place? Stay down! Get 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 down!
Don't dare call them protesters. They were a riotous mob, insurrectionists, domestic terrorists. Yeah, even here in Australia, it was hard to watch those events on January 6. And Trump's role in it, they'll be under intense scrutiny in his second impeachment trial, which kicked off yesterday. It's our solemn constitutional duty to conduct a fair and honest impeachment trial. If that's not an impeachable offence, then there is no such thing. Impeachment exists to protect our constitutional system by deterring abuse of the extraordinary power that we entrust to our presidents. So those are some of the opening statements from day one. Trump's been charged with incitement of insurrection for his remarks that were widely seen to have provoked that violent attack on the Capitol, which eventually led to five deaths, including a police officer. Yeah, but to secure a conviction and stop him from running for office ever again, two-thirds of the Senate, which is a lot, will have to vote against Trump. He is the first US president to be impeached twice. A year ago, the charges arose from his dealings with the Ukraine. That time he was impeached by the House of Representatives, but he was then acquitted by the Senate because senators from his own Republican Party stood by him. Yeah, so on today's briefing, will they protect him again? And will this second impeachment trial backfire on Biden and the Democrats? David Smith is here to explain what's about to happen. He's a professor of US politics at the US Studies Centre at Sydney University. David, lay out the basic timeline for us. It started yesterday. Where does it go from there? And when will we know the outcome? This is going to be a pretty quick trial, unlike... Trump's first impeachment trial, it's very likely to end in acquittal because conviction would require 17 Republican senators to vote for conviction. It's very hard to see that happening. Democrats know that. They're the ones running the trial. So they're going to make it as quick as possible because then they want to go back to promoting Joe Biden's agenda in Congress. So we will know by early next week what the outcome is. But realistically, we already know that it's going to be acquittal. The only question is, will there be some Republican senators who actually might come over to the side of conviction Last time, there was one Republican senator, Mitt Romney. He looks like he could be open to convicting again. If there are maybe a few Republican senators, that could add a bit more weight to the proceedings. But it's almost certainly going to end with acquittal. So what will actually happen? Who will speak? Will Donald Trump turn up? And if not, who will be arguing his case? So Trump's lawyers will be arguing his case. Trump himself is not going to speak. There's actually probably not going to be many witnesses speaking at all, just because they want the trial to go as quickly as possible. There have been witnesses who were actually involved in the Capitol riots who have offered to testify, like Jake Angeli, who you might know as the guy who was wearing the hat with the fur horns. He yeah. actually offered to uh, to testify, but oh, they said no. No, thanks. Uh, would have been a bit strange, you know, welcome back to, to Congress. So this is mainly going to be argued uh, by lawyers. The people who were actually involved, including Trump, aren't going to have much of a role in this at all. It'll be mainly lawyers and also senators from each side are going to be arguing about it. What will Trump's defence argue? free speech is protected under the US Constitution. And when Trump was talking to the crowd before they went off to the Capitol, that he was just exercising his free speech, that he was engaging in political rhetoric. David, it's interesting to hear you say that the Democrats already see this as a foregone conclusion, that they're going to 
lose. I mean, did they realise that when they actually impeached Donald Trump? Or what's has something changed? Yeah, what's what's the point of it now? Because, you know, you had Joe Biden on Inauguration Day mm. talking about healing the nation and that he was a president for both sides. They've enjoyed having Trump out of the spotlight for the last few weeks so they can get on with their own business. This drags him back onto the front pages of the newspapers. What's the point of doing this? And do some Democrats probably regret it? Joe Biden has actually wanted as little to do with impeachment as possible. He's barely even referred to it. This is really all taking place within Congress. The House of Representatives, which is Democratic majority, impeached Trump while he was still in office. And when that happened, they were hoping that the Senate would actually put him on trial before he left office. It could have happened in the 10 days or so before he left. But the Senate majority leader, who was Mitch McConnell, even though he was clearly very angry with Trump and said he wanted to hear the evidence for impeachment as a kind of parting gift for Trump, stopped the trial from happening until he had left office, which then set it up for Republicans to say, well, there's no point in impeaching him now that he's left office. I think the Democrats also felt that in the midst of all the heat and the emotion generated by the Capitol riot, where you had Republican senators cowering in uh, underground hiding places from this mob who apparently wanted to kill some of them, they might have felt that there was actually a good chance that they could have got some Republican senators to convict. And even Mitch McConnell seemed to suggest that he was open to the idea Mm. at the time. But if there was a moment for that, that moment has clearly passed. As you mentioned, you know, after the insurrection, more Republicans than ever came out and spoke publicly against Trump. And yet a test trial found only five Republicans indicated that they would vote to convict Trump. Why is that? One of the reasons is that members of Congress are constantly fighting for re-election and they're all responsible for their own re-election campaigns. That doesn't just mean beating Democratic opponents. That means they have to survive primary challenges from Republican opponents. And what they realise is that at the moment, the Republican base, the kinds of party activists who vote in Republican primaries are very, very pro-Trump. And I think immediately after the insurrection, there were Republican members of Congress who had just had enough, who were willing to come out against Trump. But as the days and the weeks went by, it just became really clear that the Republican base was completely unmoved yeah. by this. So it's it's clear that it is very much still Trump's party at the grassroots level. And there are some members of Congress, like Adam Kinzinger from uh, Illinois, who's very anti-Trump, who has basically said, well, I know I'm probably going to get kicked out at the next election by my own party, but uh, that's a sacrifice I'm prepared to make. But most of them are not prepared to take that risk. And I think that's why we're seeing more and more Republicans falling into line, not Mm. necessarily coming out themselves with pro-Trump lines, but often just staying silent. Where to from here, David? When this impeachment fails, and that's what you and most other analysts are predicting, is there a plan B? Could the Democrats go down the 14th Amendment path? And and how would that work? So that has certainly been discussed. And one of the purposes of holding an impeachment trial was that if he was convicted, then there could also be a vote 
to permanently bar him from ever holding office. Because that's what Democrats, this is about, right, really. That's yeah. sort of what Democrats really want out of this, or they did at least when they first impeached him, but they've probably lost sight of that. The 14th Amendment was introduced after the Civil War in order to give equal protection under the law to all citizens of the United States. And in that context of the Civil War, it also had a provision that would bar people from office if they'd been engaged in insurrection, which back then was referring uh, to if they'd fought on the Confederate side of the Civil War. And there are certainly some legal scholars who argue that invoking the 14th Amendment, which would be a much simpler process, I think that would only require a majority vote in the Senate rather than the two-thirds that conviction of impeachment would require, that that actually would be a much better option from barring Trump for office. I'm not sure that they are going to do that now. I think in the in the lead up to impeachment, it was kind of presented very much as a one or the other option. And I, once again, there'll be a lot of legal debate about uh, whether that's possible. It's also possible there are one or two Democrats, people like Joe Manchin from West Virginia um, or Kristen Sinema from uh, Arizona, who are on the more conservative side of the Democratic Party. And they may actually be reluctant themselves to take any further action, believing that the country just needs to move on. They don't want to dwell on Trump forever and they don't want to alienate pro-Trump people within their own states. So that actually might deprive uh, Democrats of a majority. Once the impeachment ends and if the Democrats decide to move on, will that finally be that line in the sand on on the Trump presidency? Probably not. It's it's really hard <laughs> to tell what is going to happen with Trump now because of the continued support that he gets from the grassroots of the party. He's not going to immediately disappear. It's unclear what Trump's own plans are at this point, whether he is actually seriously planning to run for office again. Trump is also facing a host of legal problems. The Southern District of the state of New York wants to prosecute him for fraud. There are people lined up to sue him over a number of issues. It's unclear whether his role in the insurrection could also bring about uh, criminal charges. Probably not, but this is another possibility. He's facing potentially a $100 million tax issue with the IRS, and it's reported he's got about a billion dollars in loans due over the next four years. So he has got a lot to deal with. Mm -hmm. It's very hard to tell whether any of this is going to take the shine off him um, among the Republican base, whether the Republican base will look to move on to, to somebody else or whether they will just continue to cling to Trump. One of the things about what's sometimes referred to as the Trumpist movement is I think people underestimate how dependent it is on Trump himself. It's not like somebody else who is not Trump can just pick up the mantle of Trump's policies and run with them. A lot of it depended on the, the that very charismatic personality of Trump, the kind of magic that he projected, that he was really different uh, from all of these other politicians and that he alone really had the ability to to fix the country and to lead it to greatness. That was David Smith from the US Study Centre. Yeah, I mean, I just also think... Will Donald Trump really want to go at it again? Like after after what he went through, and you just think after he's been out for a while, 
would he would he do that again? Yeah, so much will change in a short space of time. As David was saying, there's going to be a lot of lawsuits for him to deal with as well. That will be incredibly stressful and difficult and could damage him significantly. And and the US could also recover from COVID quite well over the next year, which might reflect quite poorly on his legacy. Mm, oh, definitely. And, you know, you kind of feel for Americans, but you're just hoping that after their year of shocking unrest and, and, and seeing your country just torn apart, uh, no matter what side of politics that you are on, um, many would just be hoping that this latest impeachment trial draws a line in the sand and, you know, it signals a new beginning um, and let, you know, Trump ride off into the sunset on his golf buggy <laughs> um, and Biden just get on the uh, back on the job and, and, and which, you, which you mentioned, you know, tackle that COVID crisis, you know, deal with that economic fallout from the crisis and, you know, hopefully Biden can make America great again. <laughs> <laughs> Although that slogan has... Com- <laughs> We're not going to use that one again. Yeah. <laughs> Tomorrow on The Briefing, uh, the vaccine rollout in Israel. They are the country that have inoculated the highest percentage of their population so far. So we're going to find out how it's going. A Podcast One production.